0: Hello, and welcome to the Aster Economic Review. My name is John Eckstein. I'm the Chief Investment Officer of ASTOR Investment Management. I'm joined today by my friend and partner, Rob Stein. Rob, hello.
1: Hi, John. How are you doing today?
0: Good. Thank you. We are recording this on Friday, November 4th, right after the payroll number. So we sort of organize our lives here at ASTOR around the payroll number as sort of a monthly rhythm. But now it's only the third most important thing going on, right? Like, I think it's like Fed, CPI, and now payroll comes in third. Do you agree with that?
1: I do. And remember, this number for a long, long time was what traders and economists set their calendar by. And we will. Our and, investment committee. and we will again, probably. But well, yes, we'll talk about it on this podcast. But I agree with that. And that's when we're going to see things really light up.
0: Yeah. I'm going to start off by saying, in a nutshell, I'm going to say the economy is slowing, but slowing perhaps too slowly for the Fed's taste, if that makes sense. you agree with that nutshell characterization, Rob?
1: I do. I think it's exactly what's happening, right? They're hitting the brakes, but they're not stopping as much as they want. So, you're right. The big question, soft landing, or do we hit the wall? Do we not hit the brakes enough?
0: Right, right. So today's agenda, we're going to go through the payroll number. There's not a ton of nuance. I don't think we're gonna discuss the payroll number for too long. Talk about this week's Fed meeting and call it the job well done, I think. So payrolls, head, to head number, non-farm payrolls were up 261, about the same as last month's preliminary release. There was net upward revisions in the last two months. The That's important. unemployment rate jumped from 3.5% to 3.7%. I'm gonna take a sec and dig into that. The payroll report and unemployment rate come from two different surveys, both done by the BLS, both released on the same day. The household survey and the establishment survey. They're asking slightly different questions, but you can reconcile the two. And so usually when you reconcile the two, those numbers are pretty close and they're a little bit farther apart than they usually are now. The reason I'm pointing this out is because I said change in non form payrolls was plus 261. That's well above the replacement rate, but unemployment rate went up. How is that? Well, when you ask people what's right. going on in your household, those numbers seem to be they're like, oh, we don't have as many people working. But when you ask businesses, they're like, oh yeah, we got more people than last month. So that's just like sort of a different
1: view of Yeah. This. It and you know, is it meaningful? And of course, you know, the denominator is important to how they come up with that.
0: Well, they're going um, they're going two different ways and they should be pretty close, right? So there's a little bit of a puzzle. So this could be the case that the it, payroll number is overestimating. Is the payroll number overestimating jobs or is the household number underestimating jobs? And, the, and
1: we'll see if it circles back in another two payroll reports. Yeah. So, so far
0: when it's been under recently, what's caught up is the household number, right? And so if that holds this time, then, you know, anybody who's hanging their hat on, gosh, look at how the unemployment rate is up, the labor market must be cooling. Well, then you think that's less true than you did. uh, The participation
1: rate ticked down a notch.
0: Well, that's the same survey, right? Same survey. Yeah. That's saying the same thing. It's like there's a wedge between... The Establishment Survey, and the Payroll Survey. And it is a medium-sized question. It's not the most important question in the world, but there's a decent-sized question of how those are going to get resolved. Yeah. The other big number to look at is, of course, wages. One sort of folk theory about inflation is people's wages go up, and so that's what makes inflation go up. So I mean, just it's worth remembering that Real wages look to be negative this year, not positive. So that sort of argues against a so-called wage price spiral in, in my view. So people are seeing, I'm in the comments, I'm seeing the rate of growth of wages seems to be slowing a little bit. The number that comes out in the payroll is not the best measure we have of that. We have to wait for the employment cost index. For the best measure that we have. So the rate of growth of hourly earnings is moderating somewhat. And, you know, it's sort of within spitting distance of where it was in 2018 to 2019, though still high relative to the last, say, 20 years. One exception to this promising news is that leisure and hospitality worker salaries seems to be increase a little bit, right? So if the model of what happened in the last two years is a bunch of people in crappy leisure jobs got better jobs, and so they have to raise prices to clean hotel rooms or whatever to lure people into jobs that they don't really like, that is still an ongoing adjustment. I think that's one story which is consistent with the facts as we understand them.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think we're gonna see a lot more wage pressure even if the market starts to loosen up a little bit, I just think that with the inflation we've had, with what people's pocketbooks are saying, those who are still working are going to be bold enough, hey, I need a raise. You know, you're seeing that. Yep. And businesses are going to have to make a decision on that, feeling what they know they're feeling at their level that has to trickle down to what's happening to the individual worker. You have to be sensitive to that.
0: Yeah. And it's worth noting that, like, corporate profits as a percentage of GDP is still. You know, right. its top decile, right? Like, it's still quite high. And so, like, companies are not taking the hit, right? They're not seeing margin compression to make up for inflation. And they will, as long as they can, they won't do that, right? So.
1: No, well, you know, it's funny you should say that because they're not yet. And I think businesses are pretty, you know, they're very efficient. And, you know, my one of my themes is the relationship between labor, capital, and resources is changing. But what you're seeing is, a more conscientious effort on consumers. Whether you look at Netflix subscriptions, things that I know I'm looking at, do I need that? Is that redundant? Can I get two of those for the price of one? So you're starting to see that more, I think, than the margins, than the pressure from basically their raw cost to their sales price first. That I think is what's showing up.
0: I agree. Like we've had people in our business who are, oh, we used to, not charge you for this and now we're charging you for it and you're always supposed to pay it. Not exactly a price increase, but it's like, oh, we didn't hold you accountable for this and now we are. You also see the same thing in the Netflix. Netflix is widely known to be planning to crack down on on subscription sharing, right? Yeah. Your, your family is okay, your ex girlfriend is not, right? I think it's basically, uh, <laughs> she should have married her. If she wanted a free, if she wanted a free net. Seems like a big problem for me, but but they're gonna clamp down on that in the US at least, and we'll see how that goes. So, I feel like a lot of businesses are trying to squeeze a little bit of money out without saying, okay, the price of a cookie went from $1 to $2, right? They're like, oh, yeah, no, the cookie, is still a dollar,
1: but now the bag is 5 cents, so. Right, so that's happening now. It probably means the same in the long run psychologically, but you're starting to see, and being redundant, you're starting to see the people who feel that they have some job security going in and asking for raises. Six months ago, a year ago, they get the raise, maybe they stay, maybe not. They were looking around for a better job. And now I think they've settled into where they plan to be for a little while and trying to squeeze more more money out of it.
0: CPI, Nick and I discussed, and we'll discuss again next week, we'll have a quick reaction podcast. So the purchasing manager indices came out a little bit weaker than people were anticipating. Uh, Let's just look at the ISM numbers. So ISM manufacturing came out at 50.2, down from 50.9. So that's moving closer to the sort of even half people see things getting better, half people see things getting worse. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: still in the positive line. The prices paid number, which people taking a sort of an inflation proxy, that dropped significantly and significantly below expectations. That went from 51.7 to 46.6. So more businesses are saying prices paid are decreasing rather than increasing. That obviously could be tied to lower gas prices and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. yeah, gas prices have been moving around drastically. Energy prices, 20% over the last year, I guess. So that's the tough one, right? Yeah, that, Energy up a
0: lot over the last year, but not up over the last quarter. So what do you think? So is that up or down, right? It depends on what you, depends on sort of your mood, right? Where the energy, gas prices went from a $4 handle to a $3 handle near May. So is that down, but it's up from around $3 even a year ago. So that's up.
1: It is. It's. I guess it's interesting because it moves around. Obviously, it hits the CPI data, but I think the consumer buys gas psychologically because they expect it to move around, uh, and so when it's a little higher, maybe they cut back on something, maybe they throw it on a credit card. We got pretty used to having low gas prices, right? We did. We did. I'm talking about from the move from there, right? So, the, so you get the initial shock. Yeah. of Now my average is higher, and then that's sort of oh, five hertz for. It's a little better, three. I think I don't have to worry about it. So I think what's happened, John, is we've moved to a new level of where the range is in gas prices. And it's not something that I guess for a number of years, I'll use the term irrelevant, but less important as a percentage of disposable income. Totally, yeah. And now it's a line item.
0: Yeah, people are definitely noticing it.
1: Where does that leave us for the big question, right? Don't you think the big question is how much further for the Fed and then soft landing or not? I think this all circles to that outcome.
0: I agree. So so the Fed met this week also. Busy week. They raised rates to about four percent. So now I think that this is actually a significant level because rates are probably neutral now, right? I think they were stimulative, they're certainly stimulative at two percent and probably three percent at four percent. They're probably neutral, they're probably not very restraining on growth. So where's the Fed going next. So the chair had his press conference. A couple of things really stood out to me. The first is him saying, we have some ways to go. The ultimate level of interest rates will be higher than previously expected. That's a big deal. Powell is telling us, like, you think rates are going to go to 4.5%, but they're going to go higher than that. So I think we should believe him when he says that.
1: Yep. That's my sentence. Like, if, you know, the, the Fed says it, I take them at their word until they change their mind.
0: Yeah. And the other thing he said twice, is, so there's been a lot of discussion in the economics finance circle the last couple of months of, is the Fed going to pause? Is it going to pivot? Pause or pivot? Those are the two things that you say. Pivot, I guess, means petting rates and pause means stop raising rates. Powell said twice, very premature to think about pausing, right? I feel like he had that written on his hand, right? He was going to, he had to say that. Don't forget to say, whenever somebody asks a question, how do you like the cookies? Oh, it's premature to think about pausing, right? Like he said it twice. (laughs) That's not an accident. These are very carefully scripted events.
1: The definition pivot pause is, I think it's slightly differently because you think pivot means from raising the hiking. And I think pause is pausing, but still hiking to go. And pivot, I think, could mean we're no longer seeing what we're seeing. I think they could pause with two different things in mind. You can pause with, we're pausing, but we're going to be hiking again eventually. We just need to catch up. Or pausing could be, you're pausing, but your next move is going to be down.
0: Right. right so just to be clear, so my interpretation is they don't know exactly what they're going to do. Something's going to depend on events. I think they think they're probably going to do is stop the supersize hikes, right? So they've been four hikes, 75 basis points each, 300 basis points in, what, six months. Very fast, very fast by Fed standards. And from what he said in the summer, like he didn't really expect to keep doing 75s by November, right? So one sort of reasonable thing that might happen is another 50 basis points at December, just to show they're not slacking off. And then the next one after that is beginning of February. And so that's three CPIs between now and February. And you can start to see whether you do see a slowdown, right? They definitely know. They know about the housing market, which is slowing dramatically. They know about the so-called long and variable lags. They don't want to unnecessarily throw the economy into a recession. So I think one plausible thing is they keep hiking, but at a much more sort of sedate pace, 50s or 25s for the next few months until you see either inflation going down or the economy going into a recession?
1: I think they want to see a recession. I think they want to see a complete reset. I think things are getting out of hand. COVID made them really out of hand. And I don't think they really care deep down if it's a recession or we kind of nip inflation. I think the valuation, of everything from houses to candy bars are a concern at the Fed level. Concerned about the long term growth of the economy. And, you know, it's funny, I lived through a couple of contractions, recessions. I know you have as well. And the one thing I always, as I get to this age, is man, I wish I had more powder dry when fill in the blank happened. And whether it was the SNL crisis, with the exception of maybe 9 11 that dropped there, but the great financial crisis, COVID dropped. And so I think that they're trying to create something that resets like that, that you don't need to be there with a catcher's mitt to catch it and catch the next decade of an economic expansion. That's what I believe they're trying to do. Let's get things back to where everybody can get back on the train, not just those waiting down there. Maybe. I'm
0: not, like, I don't see, again, I think the Fed is It says like, they don't want to cause recession. They just want, and they do have a dual mandate, right? Like full employment. Mm-hmm. I think mean, they don't want the recession, but they're willing to cause a recession if that's the only way to get inflation down, I think would be the way I would characterize what they're saying. And the idea of getting, say, house prices down, like that's not going to happen, right? Like, yeah, house prices dropped in absolute terms in the GFC after the housing bubble, but we're not in a housing bubble. We just don't have enough houses. It's totally different.
1: I kind of disagree a little bit, John, and you're one of the smartest guys I know, but I believe that they're not just comfortable with a recession. I think they're sort of like, wink, wink, let's have one, you know, sort of a little scrape us up Uh, as far as the housing market goes. I really and truly don't think everybody has realized the impact of higher rates. We've had low rates for so long. And I really believe some of the people I know who have these credit facilities at 50, 100 basis points who spent their whole life and now banks are throwing money, we've been throwing money at them for a decade and they could take the risk on I could just roll it out for a decade and you know, I gotta be able to make two percent somehow, somewhere. I'm not worried. At four percent, you borrow a million bucks, it's forty grand. You're sort of thinking to yourself, I better have something cooking here. And so a lot of that drove prices to a level I think is going to be a a, a longer time than you think seeing the valuation change from that. Maybe not in equity so quickly, although NASDAQ, yes, we have not fully seen that yet. I, I know I have a little bit of debt on something that's resetting and it hit the cap. It's not even going to be as bad as it's going to be when it resets again. So, I think, yeah. I know you're going to say it's a small part of mortgages and this isn't exactly a mortgage thing, but be that as it may, I know that I, or we, if it's business related are having a plan for that. It hasn't hit yet.
0: I agree with that. I agree that the full impact has not flown through everywhere, flowed through everywhere. But I don't think that, I was just saying specifically, like I don't think housing
1: prices are going to go down. They don't do that. They did it once, right? And I disagree on that one. I think that this time, they went down in the GFC because it was a crash in those. Supply, loose lending. This is math on affordability of a mortgage. And I know this stats the first-time buyers and cash buyers and so on and so forth, but that math translates to lower prices. This is the first meaningful rate hike that we've had in decades. You know, sure, one point here, one point there, but I don't remember. 75, 75, 75, 75, 75.
0: Yeah, mortgage and, and mortgage rates are going up more because of problems within mortgage. Right, So mortgages with their embedded option, when volatility of interest rates go up, the mortgages rates goes up more, right? So the mortgage is spread between treasury, seven-year treasuries, and the mortgage rate is at a very high level. And so that could come down without treasuries moving, right? So you could get mortgage rates back to 5%, five and a quarter, not seven, that would help some. But the problem with the idea of houses dropping in price is just that we don't have enough houses, right? There's a huge housing shortage. We don't build enough houses. There's a huge pent up demand, right? And so you see already like household formation slowing and people don't want to be living with their roommates. They don't want to be living with their parents, right? But they can't afford to buy a house. Like as soon as houses drop down in price, like people are going to snap them up is what I think. So I I guess we had an operational bet, right? Like I would say housing prices a year from now are going to be the lowest they would be from now is like 5% lower. And you think they could go lower than that, right? That would be the overrun. I
1: I think they're already 5% lower than where they were. Well, then,
0: five percent lower from the peak, 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 right? But like, but not much. Three percent right? lower than the peak, not much. But I don't think they're going much lower. I think they're gonna they'll go lower in real terms because inflation is still high. But I think in nominal terms, they're gonna stay about where they are. And I think that's an
1: area where we have a difference. Of a right, we do. And then keep in mind that that also probably is reflective of where you are, where you're buying, where you're selling. You know, as you're retiring and moving to wherever retirees are moving. You probably have a different feel than if you're going to a suburb that doesn't have enough houses in a good school district to cities like Chicago, where it's neighborhood to neighborhood.
0: Yeah, you, you, see, so you see you see some, some sort of crazy things like San Francisco housing prices are down substantially from insane to ludicrous. <laughs> so we will see. Before we wrap it up, I have a question. The same question that was asked Chair Powell, has the window for a soft landing narrowed? He said... Has it narrowed? Yes. Is it still possible? Yes. So we had a little internal poll just for fun of the investment committee. And I'm the only one who sees a substantial chance of a soft landing. And I think my case got a little bit better today, maybe. Right. Like, I guess I see that as the modal opportun- the modal result, right? Like a 40% chance of a soft landing. And you think, hard landing right you think high inflation and higher unemployment a year from now
1: is that right it is I think and a, I think a meaningful recession as well which you know is that a hard landing or is that a recession where were you oh,
0: it's a, I mean that's a hard it's you know, a recession
1: in our taxonomy yeah so I, I <laughs> hang on everybody but I think the worst case scenario is where we're headed <laughs> so uh, <laughs> and, and just just for you listeners here who maybe know John and I for a long time, that's a very flip-flop, John, with the soft Pollyanna landing and me with hard crash landing. <laughs> Not very typical of how we've had a relationship for 30 years.
0: <laughs> you know, maybe it's more like I'm sort of more towards the medium and you're towards the extremes, maybe. I'm sort of, I don't know, maybe that's the way to think about it. So I think that's it. Chair Powell obviously is getting less optimistic about a soft landing, maybe, but still possible. And you know where Rob and I stand. In the meantime, we'll be hey, if you uh, have
1: a if you have a vote too, we put it up on, on LinkedIn. It's either on mine yeah. or Aster's. There's a survey of what you think. So go to LinkedIn and type in Rob Stein Aster or Aster Investment Management and look for the survey. It'll give you the results of others when you log on to it.
0: Yep. In the meantime, if you would like more economic analysis, you can look at our website, Aster IM. That's I am for investmentmanagement.com. You can download the Aster Research app or you can reach out to your Astra sales representative and the Astro Economic Review will be back next week with a reaction podcast to the CPI.
1: Thanks, Rob. Thanks, John. To learn more about Aster Investment Management's research and strategies, please visit us on the web at www.asterim.com, or stay up to date by following us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and our app is also available on the App Store and Google Play. Thank you. Aster Investment Management, LLC, is a SEC-registered investment advisor. All information contained herein is for informational purposes only. This is not a solicitation to offer investment advice or services in any state where to do so would be unlawful. Analysis and research are provided for informational purposes only, not for trading or investing purposes. All opinions expressed are as of the date of publication and subject to change. They are not intended as investment recommendations.